Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning into Pie Hard, Collingwood's fifth most influential supporter podcast, but number one for going beyond the headlines and stats to serve up piping hot slice of irreverent Collingwood culture. On this week's pod, we break down Collingwood's mini resurgence, fawn over 200-centimeter pies, meet a shadowy figure from Collingwood's past, dive into the club's leadership vacuum, and launch our first ever competition. This is Pie Hard. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. Bob's had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. Because we don't have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. I still can't believe it. I can. Oh. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable in myself. It's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut. Shut up. Now, I just want to kick off with a bit of an announcement. This is our 22nd pod and the third for season 2021. And we've been absolutely floored by the amount of new listeners who have discovered us this year. So if you're new to Pie Hard, uh, a little bit of an introduction. We're about providing an alternate commentary on the firm with a focus on the stories and the characters that make Collingwood so interesting, so revered, so loathed, but above all else, so loved. And joining me, as always, is the heart of Pie Hard, Pie Hard's heart, Alex Watkins. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, Damien. They say a week is a long time in football, and Christ, a fortnight is an absolute eternity. I think so much is happening in the Collingwood universe. Yeah, well, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad we didn't do this last week because I feel like it would have had a very uh, caustic uh, level of acidity to to the podcast. Totally. But actually, going, going fortnightly, going two weeks, the sun has come out. Uh, the clouds have parted, and uh, we've won against the Blues. We're back. We're I know, back, right? Baby. And I feel like ever since COVID or 2020, that that year in which throughout the whole footy season we were holed up in our isolated little hovels, reliant week to week on you know the stimulus that the media could meet out to us, um, <laughs> and the kind of emotional ups and downs of that year mm. that we've talked about. I think that we never really recovered. And, and so what I'm seeing this season already is week one after the Bulldogs, it's like mm-hmm. hell and damnation. Week mm-hmm. two after Carlton, it's sunny skies. And you just kind of roll, roll this incredible roller coaster of emotions like never before. It's, it's a strange feeling, isn't it? It's, it's very different to the last, say, two or three years where we've kind of been, the expectations have been really high. I think, there's, I think the expectations are just a little bit blurry. So mm. I, I think I think there was a little bit of blind hope early on. The Bulldogs game obviously didn't go to plan. A lot of the same cracks um, were apparent that we'd kind of seen developing over the last few years. And so you're right. It was like, you know, the temperature on Twitter, the temperature on the blogs, um, Hot Rod, and all the uh, and Reddit. Uh, oh, geez, it was a fiery jalapeno. I checked it out a a couple of times and, oh, my God, there was – no one was spared. I think the only person that was spared was Graham Wright. Uh, I think he was the only one that got a pass. I think everyone else was was out the the door in the bin. But, yeah, as you said, another game against Carlton, which did loom as 
well, make or break isn't isn't the right description, but it it really was. This was, I think you put it best. It was like this is the Collingwood universe is about to be sucked into a vortex if we lose to Collingwood. But come, it come. doesn't. We didn't, and here we are, pie hard twenty two. Yeah, and Carlton always gets the emotions running high. But mm. you're right, people were just willing, ready, and willing to like slaughter their own last week, and we. I think I used to be a a relatively level-headed supporter. And I remember, you know, sitting next to me when my dad would, like, hang shit on Nick Maxwell. I'd be like, look, Maxwell's all right. He does what he does well and, you know, Mm. eventually led us to a premiership and I was vindicated. Mm -hmm. But I was always ready to defend the club. But there's something about, like, I think maybe our reduced attention spans in the modern era uh, combined with, like, you know, the emotional clusterfuck of COVID and, of course, Mm. the 24-hour news cycle. Where, as as footy supporters in general, but particularly after the long summer we had as Collingwood supporters, mm-hmm. we're so vulnerable to mm-hmm. the ups and downs of like you know perceived mm-hmm. glory or damnation. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it was it was intense. And I think Sweet Luke said it well. Shout mm-hmm. out shout out to uh, Sweet Luke when he um, on one of his Instagram uh, uh, videos he said that it's kind of like we're in a purgatory b- between you know, heaven and hell. He didn't say heaven and hell, but he, he used the word purgatory, which I thought was interesting. Mm. We don't know yeah. whether we're rebuilding for a premiership in three, five, seven years or whether we're, like, in the window. There's a great mm. deal of cloudy, misty, foggy kind of uncertainty at Collingwood mm. at the moment. And amidst that uncertainty, at Pie Heart, hopefully, we can shed some light. And that's our job. Do you remember the last time we were shit? I think it was like, was it 99 we finished last or was it 98? It was 99. Yeah, it was. Well, did we finish last in Tony Shaw's last year as coach? Yeah, it was It was 98 or 99. I think maybe it was 98. But you, you could just, do you remember? You could just switch off. You know, you could just, there was really, there was there was the back page of the newspapers and there was the footy show. And so if your team wasn't going too well, you just wouldn't read the papers and you wouldn't watch the footy show on Thursday night. That was it. Mm-hmm. And and you could just go, you know, for this year, like we're not we're not great. We're going to go to the football still. We're going to support the team in a social context. We're going to go have fun, play some kids, whatever. Now there's just, it's just, it's just the machine is on 24-7. There's really no escaping it. Even if you do, like even if you do decide to kind of switch off from social media, really like, Football is just omnipresent, mm. um, and, and the fortunes of your team, conversely, are um, uh, uh, laid out laid out bare. So I think with the negative, it's it's hard to get some semblance of of perspective, and I think that's a really important theme for this year is perspective. Mm. Uh, I don't think we're nearly as bad as 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 we think we are, and I don't think we're as good as as some people think we are either. Which is uh, shades of Nathan's words, really. He always says that, mm. doesn't he? He's the news is never you're never quite as good mm. as they paint you to be, and vice versa. And he he was a he was a little bit barbed in that uh, press conference, understandably, because you know I think it was a question in relation to reports of Brody Grundy's demise had been greatly exaggerated. And mm. Buck said something along the lines of, you know, really, you know, mm. like is that is that like the media to to sensationalise the ups and downs? And he obviously feels, I think. A little bit victimized, but he's putting on a brave face, mm. and um, yeah, it's it's just as you said, fortunate 
that we're fortnightly and with any luck uh, our fortnights will land squarely after uh, wins and you won't mm. have to hear our bickering disgust <laughs> when, after a Collingwood loss. Well, that's a nice segue into our, our first segment, which, uh, as always, we call Hard Yes and Hard No. And that's a segment where we cast, I guess, a critical pie-hard eye, can you say? A, a critical hard eye over the magpies and share the things that have captured our imagination over mm. the last fortnight. Now, the last fortnight, as we've, as we've said off the top, does include uh, a bit of a bit of a tough pill to swallow but also redemption in the form of a win against Carlton so I'm very interested to hear what your hard yes and let's start positively what your hard yes is uh, for this episode well do you recall during the COVID disaster of 2020 the Prime Minister Scott Morrison coming out and saying at one stage I think it was after that we'd beaten you know we thought we'd beaten the first wave of infections Mm -hmm. and ScoMo comes out and says it's time for Australia to get out from under the doona (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I do, I do in, recall. In that kind of distinctive neoliberal dog whistling mm. kind of way he has. Mm-mm-mm. And um, I I just think the hard yes for me uh, this last fortnight was going back to the MCG and seeing, you know, what I, I would describe very lovingly as the village of the damned of Collingwood supporters <laughs> staggering back into the cauldron Um and everyone looked like they had got out from under a doona that they yeah. and probably hadn't, um, you know, myself included, hadn't seen the bright lights and, uh, yeah. you know, been involved in a big crowd of that, that nature for a long time. Mm. And just being back at the G, I recall having eye contact with one old old lady as she left the Bulldogs game halfway through the last quarter and we kind of had a wry smile to each other and even though the performance on the park was pretty lacklustre and... You know, it was a disappointing end to round one. We just mm. kind of locked eyes for a moment, this old Collingwood granny, as she staggered up the terraces and <laughs> and there's a wry smile and a recognition that, look, mm. we we live through this. We live through the ups and downs, but Jesus, good to be back. Mm, right. So that was my hard yes, was the, uh, the, the village of the damned of uh, the Collingwood faithful. Just love it. Well, that's a good way to start. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward to... The Carlton game. So I was watching this on TV, and one of the things that delights us no end here at Pie and Pie Heart is, look, we're unashamedly fans of of the old footballers, and I don't mean the old football. I don't mean the Sid Coventrys of the world. I mean the Peter Dacoses, mm-hmm. the Darren Mullanes. Um, and so naturally, Channel Seven had their cameras fixed on um. Nick Dacos and his his father Peter in the box watching the uh, the Carlton game. So immediately, just seeing um, Dacos Senior ripping the the skin off a few uh, a few lagers in, oh, in a yeah. corporate box setting was enough to kind of bring a right smile to our face. But one thing we've never really clear on is after these guys finish playing football, do they still support the club? Like, do they still, are they mm. card-carrying fans of the Collingwood Football Club or is it sort of like they're in retirement and they're, they're fishing or caravanning or mm-hmm. camping? Yeah. And, of course, you all would have seen the footage. Every, everyone who listens to this podcast uh, would understand what we're talking about. Peter Dacos, double fisting, you know, very much showing his emotion in the box as Collingwood sort of wrestled back control after Carlton had really dominated the third quarter and had managed to establish, I guess, a three or four goal lead, which 
by the early stages of the fourth quarter were, you know, were unassailable. And, and just to see, I don't know, just to, just to see a guy like Peter Dacos getting into the moment was um, a validation of sorts for me. That was my hard yes. You're so right on that. And it's kind of like we're used to these ex-AFL footballers almost like falling out of love with the game. They've, they're kind of like aloof from the game and they're often the inferences sometimes that oh, it was harder and better when we played and, you know, the game's gone to the dogs and I only go along because I'm invited to the president's function once a year and I get free crown lager. But <laughs> seeing Peter in his box with his son was just an affirmation that, like, Collingwood can and does run through the veins and his exuberance and his celebration when Josh snapped a goal from next to the goal square there um, was just so heartwarming. I couldn't agree more. Mm. And it also, I think, continues what we talked about as, like, the flex that, that Collingwood has employed um, all through the off-season of cutting to um, any kind of media of Nick Dacos whenever possible just yeah. to re-establish that the future of the club is in safe hands. And, of course, yeah. Nick was in the bo- box with um, Peter. And I don't know about you, but I, fe- I feel like there was added kind of layers of drama because the- Nick has this kind of like nonchalance, nonchalant Nick, I call him. Mm, like, mm. <laughs> where you get, the, you get the feeling that like he already thinks that he's better than Josh mm, mm, mm. and that Peter celebrating Josh's goal is simultaneously kind of like taking the focus a little bit away from Nick and Nick with his brotherly rivalry. I think he's just looking forward to getting onto the park and showing everyone like that he's he's the ace of the Dacos clan in the pack, right? She's a ominous, isn't it? When you when you put it that way, I think. Look, uh, there was there was a lot written and, and a lot talked about um, Nick in the lead up to the game being a, a Carlton supporter. Now, if anyone follows us on Instagram, you will have seen. For the last three years, we've been posting photos of uh, young Whisper Nicky in his Carlton attire. And we just want to put it out there. We're f- we fully support uh, Nick choosing any any team uh, he wishes to support. And I think in many ways, seeing him despondent as as his team, Carlton, were being crushed down into a fine powder on the uh, surface of the uh, MCG on a Thursday night was really pleasing to see because I think I'm a little bit sick of these um sort of Collingwood fan players sort of coming in you know you know you know when you hear that it's like we hear all this talk about like Logan McDonald uh, yeah. was a was a supporter of Collingwood so we need to get him into Collingwood no like <laughs> you know or Jeremy Cameron was a supporter of Collingwood what's his name the guy from Richmond forward I don't even know Lynch. Lynch Lynch it's like no we need to bring in some mongrels that hate Collingwood Bring him in. Nick Dacos, Jordan DeGoy, I think, was Carlton. Like, we need to bring in more of the players reluctantly, like dragging and screaming against their wishes, and then convert them because they're always going to have a bit of a chip on their shoulder and it's going to come through in the play. And I think that's a really important tactic. I think we've maybe just upset the apple cart a little bit at the moment. We've got too many Collingwood fans within the Collingwood team. And you reckon you bypass that moment where... Like they lose two or three years because they idolize the blokes they're playing with, like Seedsman. Mm, you know, that's Se- right. Seedsman's playing with a hero, his heroes always look like a likely type, but never quite, you know, solidified into a good player, a great, you know, consistent player. But um, I don't know, like I didn't get the feeling. I, obviously, we know innately about Nick's, you know, turncoat 
status as a, as a Carlton mm. supporter, but I didn't get the feeling from the coverage that he was supporting Carlton. I mean, did you did you think he was deject, de- dejected because when Collingwood got on top, I, I, got, I got the feeling he was already, with all this talk about being mm. number one draft right. pick, he's already segued into that like weird zone of like, mm. I'm not really a footy supporter. You know how like mm. great, great... Uh, some great players don't really watch the footy in their time because yeah. they're too good. Like the Chris Judge of the world, they're kind of too good. I don't need to. I don't need to be a footy supporter. I'm just fucking good at playing it. And I feel like nonchalant yeah. Nick is already cultivating that thing of like I'm not really, you know, I mean, that into like the Pies winning this game or Carlton losing this game because you know what? Next year is when it all begins. Well, the only giveaway for me was uh, he was wearing a a crisp, straight out of the bag sky blue windsheeter or sweater. Um, and it sort of, sort of was the same, uh, sort of blue color as the, uh, Carlton M&M's jumper. So I thought okay. there was some kind of connection yep. there, but, uh, look, you might be, you may be right. I mean, if you're a good footballer, you want to, you want to very quickly, if you're a good footballer on the verge of being drafted, regardless of whether you're being picked up by Collingwood or you don't know who you're going to get picked up with, you need to start shaking that affiliation pretty quick. Mm. Because that's 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 going to be a dog that hangs around your neck um, for for years on end if if you do. So you need you. I I agree with you. He's in that weird middle ground where he's shaking off the Carlton affiliation and um, strapping on the black and white. Just have a listen to this. I've done a little bit of digging, and we're quick to forget that like our heroes were not always Collingwood people. And see what you take away from this, and see if you can recall where this might uh, come from. It seems so long ago now that one of Collingwood's most famous sons actually hated the black and white as a kid. But even early on, his mother Phyllis remembers her son could not get enough of the game. He used to kick all day and night, all the toilet paper, his socks and everything. I used to say, shame yourself, Peter. You never stop. Always you jump, make trouble. Mom, leave him alone. Not even after joining Collingwood did Peter's love of the red and white diminish, according to his father, Stan. When he finished the seconds, I'd get in the car, go South Melbourne or Essendon or wherever South Melbourne was playing. We used to go out there and watch it. How are you going to kill us? <laughs> now, there's a bit here. There's a bit to unpack. Yep. I mean, we, in recent weeks, as, as recently as last podcast, have probably criticised Peter, who's... Um, Obviously, a mm. uh, fan of the pod and one of our childhood heroes. Mm. Shout out to Peter for his, um, you know, lack of good parenting in raising a Carlton supporter. Turns out, when you go back to none other than uh, Dacos Magic, mm. you get a little insight. Peter himself, you know, hated the pies. So there's something in it, and I think this is vindicating your suggestion. You need to get him kicking and screaming through the doors mm. of Vic Park rather than, you know, trying to attract these lifelong Collingwood supporters. And that was Stan and Phyllis Dacos we heard from. So, so in the, that, was, that was fantastic. So that was Dacos Magic, was it? That was a snippet from Dacos Magic. Brilliant, brilliant. I have to watch that again. But, yeah, so in, in the last two pods we've established, one, we need to recruit stupid footballers, and we're not suggesting by any stretch that Dacos or anyone like that is a stupid footballer, but we did, if you did listen into the last Pie Hard uh, episode, that's what we were talking about. And now we've also, just to layer on that um, cake, Mm-hmm. We're also recruiting non-Collingwood supporters. So I think we're, we're sort of developing unwillingly a blueprint that we could pass on to, say, Ned Guy or uh, Graham Wright at mm. the end of uh, Season 3. And maybe all the hard work for those guys is done. 
if we have a blueprint, a money ball type blueprint for recruiting the next uh, superstars of the Collingwood Football Club? Well, given how little money and calorie, sal- salary cap space we've had this uh, last period, I think my money ball approach would be more than appropriate. And I do wonder, just off the cuff here as you, as you brought it up, mm. I do wonder what the kind of interplay between Ned Guy and Graham Wright's going to be. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but is Graham Wright seen to be the architect of the Hawthorne dynasty? Yes, yes, absolutely. That's, that's my understanding is he was the puppet master, if you will, who uh, laid the foundations for not just the senior coach and the recruiting blueprint, but also the, um, you know, the football administration department, which is so integral to, to executing that and getting the right people on board. Like you only have to look at the caliber of, I guess, assistant coaches that have gone through that club um, over the last decade, especially through their sustained period of success to understand that they've, they've, they've got something right down there or they had something right down there. They had the magic. They had Damien Monkhurst as a ruck coach. Mm. Um, and I think that's an inspired choice because Monkhurst was the archetypal, uh, you know, maybe don't overthink it um, player. Maybe, geez, it'd be good to get Monkey back in the fold now that Graham's come. Um, we, we literally just, I think we just recruited a ruck coach, Mark Jamar. Uh, Is he Adelaide. the Melbourne guy? I mean, it's crazy. Adelaide, it's crazy, Adelaide, crazy that we didn't go for Monkhurst with the connection. I mean, that's literally what's going on at the moment. We are, as we all know, there are <laughs> probably a few more from Hawthorne maybe to come across. Maybe. We're not sure. Well, let's get to that in a sec. But um, I mm-hmm. think there might be some optical issues getting Monkey back in the midst of the racism inquiry. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's let's not. Let's, maybe let's not go there just on this one. But uh, do, you, no. do, you remember the, do you remember the Monkhurst... Um, long incident where they um sort of got together and broke bread mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they broke bread i think the afl <laughs> no. brought them together do you remember, I think do you remember it was a the, press conference scenario no bread involved do you remember the footage is of those guys shaking hands in front of a huge coca-cola billboard <laughs> like coca-cola was like listen don't start this press conference until we're down there and we've got cans of coke in front of these guys and we've got a massive yeah 14 foot coke billboard <laughs> like you know don't don't even touch on racism until we're down there and those and there's a fucking coke sign behind which brands like, are going to be monetizing racism today it'll be, be down to monster or uh yeah it's just not done it's not done so much these days is that the optics are terrible but shout out to our friends at coca-cola um for having the having the balls to uh to put marketing in, in front of that and um yeah just reaching for the stars but let's let's talk you got one more point on this because I think we need to get to the hard nose oh look I was just gonna say and perhaps this is this is one for another pod but um we've we've talked to um friend of the pod and, and previous um soulmate of uh, pie hard chunky and it turns mm. out that um he's got some beans to spill on um on uh one of uh Probably a handful of senior coaches that may or may not come into the frame for the Collingwood job if things go pear-shaped, that being Alastair Clarkson. And Chunky actually, shout out to Chunky, uh, Mm. obviously you're listening, Chunky actually was the student of Clarko uh, in grade Mm. seven and he um, confirmed for us that um, Clarko, you know, was a a relatively uh, good-natured but quick-tempered teacher who came to school in a Suzuki Mighty Boy, <laughs> which, if you recall, is the mm. really cute little, like, chunky Suzuki with a tiny tray. Like, a t- it's like a miniature ute, which I swiftly mm. Googled 
and had uh, mm. fond memories of. I still think they look fantastic, by the way. But mm. I'm not sure if uh, Clarko's still g- g- got his Marty Boy um, rolling down to Waverley of a training session, but um, it was a fantastic image. Um, and perhaps we could unpack some of those uh, coaching machinations in a future episode. If you are listening, Alistair, do uh, hit us up uh, at Pie Hard Podcast. Let us know if you still have the 1987 Suzuki Mighty Boy. You never know, we could even make an offer if it's in uh, in black or white. So um, shout out if you're listening. My hard no this week, uh, it was already mentioned him at the top of the program, but it, it goes out to Graham Wright. Mm, okay. So... Collingwood's Lord and Saviour um, has already riled me. And that was uh, following Jamie Elliott's uh, bone-crunching injury uh, during the game against Carlton. Our hearts were in our hands um, and we turned to the one man at halftime with a semblance of understanding. And that was Graham Wright, who was interviewed by Channel 7 about the state of uh, Collingwood superstar forward Jamie Elliott. And he, uh, look, I think he's an excellent administrator, an excellent football boss, but probably a really bad doctor uh, because he made some passing comments about Jamie Elliott's uh, ankle being on the, I guess, on the side of just just deeply sprained and rolled, mm. um, which, you know, coming from such hierarchy. And of course, this, this you know, these, these, these injuries are very hard to diagnose without the proper due diligence and scans, but it immediately riled me out of a, a somber mood and into a, a somewhat happier mood, understanding that, okay, the rolled ankle could be, you know, what, three to four maybe, mm. moon, moon boot. Um, and then, of course, the shattering news the, the following day about the uh, the crack in the fibula. Mm. Um, so it's now, now facing a lengthy um, uh, stint on the sidelines. But don't know, Graham, like just – you know, temper. Te- you got to temper those expectations because you know needs to take Collingwood- a leaf out of Jeff Walsh's book and do the due diligence before just sprouting these quasi-medical theories, which is all mm, just, obviously it was. Just, may- just maybe mumble and 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 deny an interview or something like that. But that's that's my hard no. It's just maybe please wait until until we have all the answers before we um before we make any medical assessments moving forward. All right, whack Graham. Welcome to Pie Hard. All right, so we're moving on to our next segment, and it's a segment that we like to call. This is a big segment, actually. This is this is one that we've um, we've actually done re- some research on. I think this week's edition of Pies Wide Shut. The club was on the bottom. I know we were broke. Eddie had a vision, and we're prepared to live to that vision. Great disappointment that uh, this afternoon the Collingwood Football Club uh, has resigned from its partnership with the Transport Accident Commission. Smoking shadows behind the window. Joined again by Alex Weisslitz from Thorny Investments. We continue to um, populate the portfolio, what we hope will be the cream of the cake. Bigger and better just keeps getting better and better. Three year multi-million dollar sponsorship with the most storied and famous club in all of Australian professional sports. Toasts will be replaced with tears though when the last Holden rolls off the assembly line in Adelaide. I sat down with Ed last week and resigned as the uh, the CEO of the Collingwood Football Club. 32 years of struggle, ridicule and humiliation 
as the Collingwood Football Club once again regained its title as the most famous and successful sporting club in Australia. All right, so back with our favourite segment, Pies Wide Shut. Now, this week, we thought maybe the clutches or the um, aftermath of the uh, Eddie Maguire situation might, you know, have faded and uh, turn, the waves turn into ripples and we could have a bit of peace, but not so. Um, there's more to unpack. And um, it's clear that there's a gaping void at the head of Collingwood. Um, and there's, it's clear that there's a gaping void in Eddie's life, Eddie Maguire's life, as he steps away from the presidency. And you can just see, I don't know, I've got this feeling about the club whenever I... Uh, see Nathan Buckley in a press conference or watch a video of training, especially if I see a Collingwood media produced clip and there's literally players. And I'm looking at you, Trey Rusco. Is that his name? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Who have taken over the Lexus Center, taken over the mics and cameras and are performing what can only be described as a circus a um, situation where the animals are taking over the zoo, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the black and white show. You've got Trey going around asking questions, making light of uh, the absence of um, a president in the club and asking the, the players who should replace the president, who should be the new president, which I think displays not only a lack, a lack of understanding about the precarity of the club in its current context but mm. and, and also probably just immaturity of um, Trey as a young player. Um, but also, like, who's who's vetoing this stuff? Like, who's in charge of like making sure that what they're putting out on Collingwood Media like ticks the right boxes? Like, I don't think there's any like structure or leadership left in the joint at the moment. Um, it's a bizarre scenario, and it just got gets me thinking that there's a void that's opened up at Collingwood at the moment. So, wait, you're saying you're saying that if so say, for example, Eddie Maguire was still at the helm, a frivolous segment such as who should be our next president. Now, it wouldn't be around that if Eddie Maguire was there, but our next board or our next um, head of football w- would never have made it through. So what we're, I understand. So what we're saying is, and this is typical, like anyone who's, anyone who's researched regimes, Pol Pot, any kind of form of, of, of dictatorship around the world will understand, not suggesting Eddie Maguire was a dictatorship at all, but what we tend to see when one of these dictators or leaders falls mm. is your classic power vacuum. Yeah. So the, the, the force that was Eddie Maguire, top of the tree, sort of like, you know, at a macro level, steering the ship, but also on a micro level, you know, keeping everyone in check with the removal of Eddie Maguire, with the fact that we don't have a president or we have a stand-in president. What'd you say? That the animals have taken over the zoo. There's just, it's just loose. Standards are out the window. Well, creating haphazard content. No direction. No strategy. The situation's worsened by the fact that I don't think that in the zoo. Anyone's able to <laughs> criticise each other anymore. Uh, right. It's like whatever, oh, right. Go- whatever goes. Okay. If it's if it's to do with personal expression, your media brand. We've talked about TikTok. We've talked about the new mm. generation of players prioritising their personal branding, but mm. there just seems to be no superstructure 
which is overseeing this situation. And you're spot on in saying, like, when a big leader of any mm. nation state falls, there's usually a power vacuum. But that's that, I hasten to add, is when the leader is beheaded <laughs> or hanged um, or, you know, dragged through the streets, tarred and feathered, then qu- quartered and have has their different, you know, body parts taken to each corner of the country. But Eddie's still around. Mm. Let's just situate the listener because I think there's a really great example that demonstrates the point you're making. And do you remember a couple of years ago? I think I think it was actually 2018 when we were one kick away, um, one poor decision away. Uh, do you remember we came out with the the pre-match pump-up song "Nothing Else Matters" by Metallica, mm. and it got a really lukewarm response by members. It kind of like. Ha- I kind of understand what the theory was behind it. It was kind of like to 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 swell the emotions prior to the first bounce, but it just did miss a mark from a tonal perspective. Shout out to Metallica if you're listening. Nothing against you guys. Um, but Eddie Maguire on Triple M's Hot Breakfast, I think that week said, look, I didn't sign off on this. I didn't know this was happening. It's gone. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's out. <laughs> and I think that's that that is just the point you're making is that there was this there was, there was this checks and balance system, I guess, at the oh, Collingwood Football a, Club that kind of kept everything in, in line and a the ship's down, a bit rudderless. Rudderless is a really good way to put it. And, I mean, the other thing is that, yes, when a dictator is toppled, there's a power vacuum, but there's another way. And think of Putin. Sometimes the almighty charismatic leader steps down as president and then operates a puppet regime whereby they maintain mm-hmm. power, thereby you know, avoiding the, the, uh, the rules of the constitution so that they're able to still influence basically you know, the entire country. And this gets us towards, I guess, the meat of what I'd like to delve into, Pies mm-hmm. Wide Shut this week. Caroline Wilson, you know, before round one, um, wrote an article and she said, I quote, a still grieving Eddie Maguire invoked the image of the old boyfriend attending the wedding when he announced on Wednesday night that he would not be haunting Collingwood in the manner of a modern-day John Wren-style power broker. Mm. And as we know, Maguire insisted that he had never rat on Collingwood, but he also declared himself an independent reporter again for the first time since 1998. So there's a bit happening here. But what I wanted to kind of delve into a little bit was this reference to John Wren. And we know that Pies Wide Shut, we love analysing some of the shady backroom deals, the power broking, the Machiavellian politics, and, and the systems at play that are really kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes. Now, who the hell is John Wren? I reckon you asked that question 25 years ago. Most Collingwood supporters put their hand up and say, and give you like a John Wren story. Mm. For me, like I am very vaguely aware of the man. But I had to do some digging during the week to kind of uncover some of the, the details about why we still, in, in the year 2020, reference a man that died in 1953, age 82. So bear with me. But John Wren, he was actually a legendary Australian illegal and legal bookmaker, boxing and wrestling promoter, Irish nationalist, land speculator, newspaper owner, race course and race horse owner, soldier, pro-conscriptionist, and theatre owner. who was extremely influential in Victoria during the early decades of the 1900s 
and most relevantly, he was a famous patron of the Collingwood Football Club. Right. He's one of those kind of legendary, shadowy, enigmatic characters of Australian history and particularly Melbourne history. And he was made famous when um, a bloke called Hardy wrote a book called Power Without Glory, which was turned into a TV series in the 70s. But the book actually came out uh, during John Wren's life, I believe uh, much earlier on, possibly in the 40s. And Wren's family actually sued uh, the author for libel, saying that um, you know they'd represented uh, the wife uh, and other characters in the book, um, you know, having an affair, which was a libelous mm, um, scandal, scandalous, yeah, uh, inference. And so Hardy actually was cleared in the, um, the subsequent uh, trial, and um, the publication was allowed, and promptly became an Australian classic. I mean, it sold; mm. it was one of the highest selling. Australian novels of all time. Hmm. And it was based on the life of John Wren. Now, John Wren, between, eight, between the years of 1895 and 1953, supported the club in more ways than one. He contributed money and favours. He helped find players' work during the Depression. And importantly, whenever Collingwood had success, all the naysayers come out of the woodwork. And whether it was on-field or off-field, with administrative ambitions or whatever, Opposition clubs are always quick to claim that it was because of John Wren's dirty money. Mm. Nevertheless, Collingwood old-timers still revere his memory to this day, and um, even recently you've had blokes like Louis the Lip Richards describe John Wren as a truly great man. Others disagreed. Manning Clark maintained that Wren was debauching Melbourne, exposing the rottenness beneath the veneer of civilization without holding out the prospect of better things to come. Another description of John Wren after he opened the Tattersalls Club in Burke Street, a gambling kind of club uh, for poor right. people. It was common for, for rich people to be able to go into, you know, the salubrious um, surroundings of a club and sit in leather catches and gamble, but poor people didn't have that privilege. And uh, after John Wren uh, corrected that inequality, uh, his opponent, William Judkins, described the tote as being operated by the filth and offscourings of the jails. It was a Vesuvius of carnality and greed, a seething mass of flaming animalism, tainting the community, corrupting the youth, luring to destruction the weak and the foolish, and scattering among the hard-working, clean-living people the seeds of crime, debauchery, and miserable poverty. Wow. Fast forward... John Wren's death, 953. Anecdotally, he was at the grand final between Collingwood and Geelong, and at three-quarter time he pushed through to the fence <laughs> uh, through the, you know, I mean, you can imagine how packed out it would be without any kind of mm, health and mm. safety to get on the fence behind the goals where Collingwood was kicking. Mm. Apparently the um, just the difficulty and toil at the age of 82 of getting to the fence was too much for him and he... Um, he not soon thereafter had a heart attack, died within a month. Right. Uh, died of a heart attack same month as Jock McHale, uh, his mate. Um, anyway, so look, the listeners just had a little bit of a history lesson about John Wren, but why the fuck, what, what's it got to do with today? What I didn't realise until Caroline Wilson had referenced Eddie, uh, possibly, or inferred mm. that Eddie could be a new John Wren-style power broker behind the scenes at Collingwood, what I didn't realise was Eddie's own thoughts 
about Wren. Um, he was a very divisive man, Wren, and people either loved him or hated him. And a bit like Robin Hood, mm. he is, was seen as either a crook or a hero. But one of those who were most riveted by the myths and legends surrounding Wren is Eddie Maguire himself. Right. Now, as a schoolboy, Maguire read Power Without Glory, the book I mentioned, was wow. fascinated yep. by Hardy's depictions of the workings of the Caringbush Football Club, which was, of course, Hardy's description of uh, a renaming of Collingwood for the novel was Caringbush, hence mm, we yep. you know, still use that phrase. Mm. Just before becoming Magpie's president, Maguire read the book again back in 99, I'm presuming. Right. He's even mused at a, at a um, always recounted a favourite story that in 2002 in grand final day, after Eddie wore a long overcoat to the MCG, he was proud that journalist Jill Singer told him that he looked like John Wren. Oh. In recent years, and um, some of this information I, I hasten to add is coming from an article written in 2005, so recent years, mm-hmm. the early 2000s, Maguire has taken a keen interest in tales of Wren as a sporting entrepreneur. Mm. One of his pleasures in moving the Magpies to the Lexus Centre in the Yarra Park Precinct is that it's on the site where Wren developed the Motodome. The what? The Motodome was a, the... um, and I've got a picture. It's, it's a What's track. It's a Motodome. It's a track, a massive track, concrete, mm. with an oval in the middle, which mm. is on a slope, a slant like a velodrome. Mm. Oh, like a velodrome. Mm. But uh, it's a Motodome, so it's, just... it's a motor racing track. Okay, so it's like a NASCAR Type setup. It's an ASCAR setup mm, mm, mm. where the Lexus Center is today. Wow. And Eddie said back at the time, it's amazing to think that John Wren built what we're now trying to build at the Lexus Center. We're getting back wow. to his original plan. So here we go. It all comes full circle. Wow. And, and Eddie's, you know, as it turns out, Caroline's reference to John Wren in association with Eddie Maguire was far from an innocent throwaway line. Mm-hmm. What he's suggesting, and I think this is, this is something to be discussed between you and me, Damien, is Collingwood and probably you know, any big sporting club around the world, just like any political party, just like Putin's government, has a history of power brokers behind the scenes wielding extraordinary influence despite the fact they might not hold the official position of power. And I'm looking at Eddie... Mm. I'm seeing him on Footy Classified last. Just last week, mm. he was vocally denouncing, you know, the prison bar strip with Port Adelaide. Yeah. And Caroline challenged him, was like, you know, why won't you let him wear it? And he's like, we will not let him wear it. I mean, he's he's still referencing. Oh yeah, we. Yeah, as if he's representing the club. Mm. And I'm seeing this incredible, almost poetic, full circle narrative where I think. Far from seeing the last of Eddie Maguire, we know in our guts that he's destined for many years of John Wren-style power broken behind the scenes. And now, mm. I'm interested to get your opinion on this, now that the shackles are off mm. and he doesn't have to play nice, and we've heard these rumours that, like, you know, people are quivering because they're afraid that he's going to, like, leak on them. Uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to rat mm. on people and... All, all this knowledge and this, this dirty knowledge that he has about the AFL industry, but now his true power as a Collingwood man is going mm. to come to the fore. Well, look, I'm still shocked by the, uh, the motor dome development. I'm still trying to process that. I, I always thought the move to the Lexus Centre was to be 
it was a progressive move to be, you know, a part of the Melbourne sports precinct. So Rod Laver Arena, mm. Amy Stadium, you know, to be to be within the the jewel in the crown of sports within the Melbourne community, as well as vicinity to Collingwood's home ground, MCG. But to understand now that at the base of that was the gra- the Motor Dome graveyard and a return. I guess Eddie Ma- Eddie Maguire just following in the footsteps of John Wren. Mm. He's a very interesting development. Your question? Look, I always, I always thought that Eddie Maguire could do more for the Collingwood Football Club, not as president, but as you know, a wheeler and dealer behind the scenes. Mm. So, so bringing using his connections, bringing people, sponsors, beneficiaries together, uniting them. And, you know, bringing them into the Collingwood Football Club. So almost like a recruiter. Yeah. Almost like, you know, setting up a deal. Yeah, but setting up a deal with the Collingwood Football Club. So it's like if Eddie Maguire, he's kind of a salesman, right? If he brings in a $500,000 sponsorship with Emirates, he gets a 20% clip of the ticket. Collingwood gets the net benefit from a sponsorship. Everyone's happy. Eddie's not front and center. There's a new leader, or there's a another leader, and puppet, and it's sort of harmonious. Yeah. Eddie Maguire still gets his John Wren esque tote um, machinations and affiliations within the club, mm. but it's done so more in the back, in the shadows, rather than in front of the cameras. Whether that actually sits well, I don't know. That's for that's for our listeners to to decide. But I always thought that that was Eddie's best. Mm. His best, his best move would have been to do that, not to completely disassociate himself with the Collingwood Football Club, not to cut himself off, to still add value, to still add, you know, what he does, mm. but but not in that kind of over encompassing position. Which, to be honest, you could argue was, you know, shrouded in in conflicts of interest, especially with his media career. Mm. I feel like it's just the the water has just found its level, but the more we talk about John Wren. It's just opened up a new uh, Pandora's mm. box, to be honest. Well, it's a template, and it's a template that Eddie can follow, is that, you know, in Collingwood, where sometimes to get business done, you've got to do it in the shadows, and you've got to avoid the rules and the laws um, in order to elevate yourself. And in, in John Wren's situation, the club too. I mean, he was basically, he was estimated, Wren was estimated to have given up to £2 million away mm. to other charities, organisations, clubs, including the Collingwood Football Club. Now, £2 million in the early 1900s is an extraordinary amount. And I think that mm. you're right in saying that Eddie's skills set him up nicely for a lifetime of influence. Now, the question is, is that influence inside the tent? I mean, personally, I would put money on the fact that Eddie will come back to the club in some capacity in five to ten years, uh, if not as president, then as a board member, and that he will Mm. become the puppet master because he can't keep his nose out of the trough. I mean, he lives and breathes the place. And as we've seen with um, this power, this leadership void which has opened up, it's not like you're seeing Paul the Curious step into the void. You're like, Peter Murphy, like, who's that? You know, Mm. um, Mm. Mark Corder. Who? Um, mm. Craig Kelly. Well, we know him. Okay, so my takeout of the John Wren 
association. And thank you, Alex, for bringing that to light. I think that was a fantastic pies wide shot. Is it's a very Eddie Maguire thing to model your presidency or your maneuvers in the early two thousands mm. on a bloke that died in nineteen fifty three. <laughs> Yes. And whose power was wielded on the pre-prohibition streets of Collingwood in, what, 1900? Well, for, ma- for many years, from like uh, basically 1890 to 1950. <laughs> from 1890. And it's like, uh, in, in, on one hand, you know, that fascination with history mm. and bringing that and folding that through, you know, his presidency like a meringue. The, yeah, meringue. The the narrative meringue of Eddie. The narrative yeah. mer- meringue is 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 beautiful, right? And it, it's really simple to understand. And Collingwood is a is a is a club with a with a very proud history, a very long history, and you have a chief who is really set about making sure that that filters through, and that's amazing. But then, conversely, you've got a club which is you know being thrust into this new world order. Mm. And in many ways needs to cut ties a lot with with some of the things, some of its past and a lot of things that have been holding the club back. And maybe a president that is looking too far in the rearview mirror rather than through the through the front windshield, arguably. It's it's just a fascinating I, I guess it's just a fascinating pies wide shut to to, you know, understand that, you know, a few things that you touched on it. It it really is about it really all goes back to power without glory. Yeah, and and setting the template and setting the 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 stones of of John Wren, who was active circa you know was probably at his most influential in nineteen nineteen. And I think it's it's testament to Eddie Maguire's imagination as that narrative builder that he sees himself within the grand sweep of Collingwood history as this figure, this custodian, the likes of which kind of hasn't been seen since John Wren, but. Well, I'm sure it has. There'll be other figures in between. You've got the McAllisters and others. But for him to to paint, it, it's kind of Eddie's creative side and it's his gift to paint mm-hmm. these narratives and, and to, to put himself in the centre of history. <laughs> Some would call it <laughs> arrogant or, you know, egotistical. But as Collingwood supporters, I think we are starting to appreciate as we reflect on Eddie's legacy and his place in the club and the game that, you know, there's a richness of local history that our, our, our wonderful game holds and the place in our imagination and in these stories of gangsters gone by is as important as, you know, the kick stats, the handballs of the, the modern-day robotic footballer. I mean, the story is what we're about at Pie Hard. And the story is what we cling to as supporters, the emotive, you know, connection to something bigger than ourselves. If there are Pie Hard listeners, I'm sure there are of the requisite age to know anything more about John Wren's association and influence on the club. If anyone's got any John Wren stories, um, or Eddie Maguire stories for that matter, um, because, you know, they both prefer to drive a Buick and carry a Tommy gun underneath their trench coat. If uh, you have any stories whatsoever, please send them in. At Pie Hard Podcast on Instagram, at Pie Hard Podcast on Twitter. Also, what we might do is we might dig out that photo of uh, a youngish Eddie Maguire on the MCG turf wearing the John Wren-esque trench coat because I think that could uh, help situate the listeners. Um, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at it now.
Okay, well, we said, let's move it on. We, uh, we said at the uh, top of the show that we do have a very special competition for our listeners, um, our very valued and much treasured Pie Hard fan base. Now, we have, uh, we have finally, um, what did you say, produced our first batch of Pie Hard stickers. Now, there's five in total. I've got them here. Oh, yeah. They're, be- they're beautifully constructed vinyl stickers, perfect for motor vehicles, mm-hmm. car windows, yep. um, you know, the back of your MacBook Pro. You bet. Uh, your locker if you're still going to school. So, we have a couple of stickers. And look, we want to give these away. Um, <clears throat> we're not going to charge any money for these. We'd, we'd rather we'd rather give these away, but we're going to make you earn it. Mm. So we have developed a competition. Now this competition is going going to be going live on our socials in the next day or so, I believe. And what we're going to yeah. do is we are going to ask you guys to let us know your favourite Collingwood footballer who has played under fifty games and why. You're probably going to have to need to keep it to some sort of minimum, especially with Twitter at the moment. You probably could do it over a few tweets if you want, if you're really obsessed with this um, this Collingwood footballer that's played uh, under 50, 50 games. It can be AFL or AFLW. And we want to know why. And we might ask you to tag a friend. But if you do that uh, and you're lucky enough to be selected, most creative answer wins. That's the way to get around the uh, trademarks and the uh, the permit that we'd have to pay if it was a, um, mm. a, a random game of chance, um, you could earn yourself a pie hard stick pack. Now we're going to put this online. So you'd be able to check, check what these out, check, check out what these look like. And um, yeah, pretty excited to do our first giveaway um, at pie hard. And I think this is just the start of, um, I guess the pie hard marketing division sort of kicking up a gear in, in season 2021. And um, who knows if these take off, they could be, uh, Headed towards some kind of terry tailing hat or bottle of wine or I don't know. Let us know. Let us know what you'd like. Mm, merch um, ideas. Merch ideas are more than welcome. But I've got to say, these stickers look brilliant, Damien. You've got one of them's got hologram, got the mu- the muscle logo of Pie Hard. We've got another one which is like some kind of creature smoking, some kind the of smoking bird. We're calling it the smoking the bird. The smoking bird, um, which is beautiful 80s throwback font. We have. Oh, Fly Pie Hard is um, a beautiful rendition of the Emirates um, and, you know, obviously that's been cleared by the Emirates um, copyright mm. people and the Pie Hard Psychedelic Swirl sticker. Mm. So there's a whole cornucopia of visual delights in this pack and as Pie Hard fan, fans, you'd be encouraged, as Damo said, to put it on your a MacBook Air or put it on your, um, where else could you put it on your um, label gun? On the, mm, on the handle, gun. yeah, on your um, Suzuki Mighty Boy, mm. anywhere Copy you want. Copy of uh, Power Without Glory. Mm-hmm. On the back there, um, so it's going to look good. It's going to make you look good, and it's going to make you look like a legitimate supporter. Or put it above the urinal at the Union Club Hotel uh, or your favourite mm. drinking haunt, and do some do a bit of marketing on behalf of the Pie Hard team. Okay, so keep your eyes peeled. Uh, socials at Pie Hard Podcast on Instagram at Pie Hard Podcast on Twitter. <laughs> So on the subject of the uh, Carlton game, it would be remiss of us not to, to mention two two gentlemen. And we've called these guys the quiet pies before. We've called these guys the thinkers. These are the um, these are the leaders of the Collingwood Football Club. Not your traditional leaders. 
They're not the traditional Tony Shaw grab you by the scruff of the neck, drag you into the war zone type leader. They're more the uh, sit back with an espresso, mm. um, talk about your feelings kind of guys. And we are absolutely on board with these two. And the first one, we're calling him, we're going to call him the, the, the billion dollar pie. Yeah. Now, eventually, a Collingwood footballer is going to demand the AFL's first billion dollar contract. We're only a couple of years away. I mean, you can scoff all you like. Yeah. But things are moving very quickly in terms of crypto and, and the value of currency globally. So we're going to anoint Darcy Moore as Collingwood's first billion dollar pie. The gazelle. And look, we've, we've spoken about Darcy Moore before glowingly. Uh, one of our first episodes of, of Pie Heart, I think it was episode one or two, was basically a, a love letter to Darcy Moore uh, and this emerging play, player. And shout out to... Um, the good doctor over in Germany, the calf blood doctor, mm, Hans, um, Hans, healing, healing Hans for getting this guy back up and running. And what a, geez, what a specimen he's turned into be. And, and we like to celebrate Backman on um, Pie Hard because often they're the, uh, you know, the, the forgotten heroes. Uh, often the, the cookies and the plundits go to, to your power forwards, your, your Jordan DeGoeys, your, your goal kickers, your Maya Checks, your Mason Coxes, because they're the ones that hit the scoreboard. And we love hitting the scoreboard. There's nothing wrong with hitting the scoreboard. But my God, there's something about a backman in full flight in the modern game. And Darcy Moore, just, just exquisite to watch. <laughs> the, the irony of this is, given we're a fortnightly pod, the listener isn't aware that we spent most of last week demanding that more go forward <laughs> to fix our ailing to forward. To fix our woes, yeah. <laughs> but um, I do agree. Uh, you just can't move him. There's no ceiling. There's no ceiling on the guy. I mean, no. fun fact, who's taller, Brody Grundy or Darcy Moore? Oh, jeez. The way you've structured this question, I'm going to have to say Darcy Moore. Yeah, well, it, it was kind but, of But I'm shocked. I'm, yeah. sh- I'm shocked. I, I, I am shocked. So, what is he, 205? He's one centimetre. No, he's like... I think Darcy and, you know, listeners can look this up, couldn't correct us, but I think Darcy's like 201 right. centimetres and Grundy's like 200. He's one centimetre, but it's just incredible. Like people talk about Grundy as like this extra midfielder. What about right. Darcy? Mate? Darcy can do anything. If the ball hits the ground, you back him in to beat any opposition player in a foot race. Mm. Um, to sweep it up off the turf, you'd obviously back him in aerially. He's yeah. a specimen. I think that we're witnessing, and I remember in 2018, a couple of years ago, witnessing like Dugowie kind of breaking out and, and becoming, it was like, shit, we've got a superstar on our hands. Mm-hmm. Like that incredibly exciting moment as supporters, which we wait for is like when you realize that like how good a player can be. And mm-hmm. I know it's been coming for a number mm-hmm. of years and we've seen glimpses and, we've, and even last year, like a terrific season from the gazelle, Darcy. Mm-hmm. You just look at it now and it's like, fuck. Like, this guy's a potential Bramlow medalist. That's how good. Mm. No ceiling. They're match winners, aren't they, these players? And I think, what's, what's he on? He's on 850 or something. I know there was a lot of speculation around his contract maybe a couple of years ago when he re-signed. I think he's re-signed to the end of 2022, which puts him at about the age profile of 26. So, still super young. Well, Sydney wanted him, remember? That's right, and we uh, we understand why now. But hey, you need two oh, fucking geez. Logans, two Logan McDonalds to to for one Darcy at the moment. You need a team Jesus. full of Logan McDonalds throwing Buddy Four. for an extra yeah, year at Collingwood. Four, but um, 
yeah, look, it's just it's amazing to watch. I, I think we do we can't underestimate the importance of Darcy Moore to our team, even against the Bulldogs. It's like we've 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 talked about Darcy Moore on the pod in the past and on socials about being the binding agent to Collingwood's flan. And what we mean by that is you can have the best ingredients that you buy from Leo's or one of the uh, upmarket supermarkets to make your chosen flan, but without an egg, without a cracked egg, the whole thing falls apart. Mm. And Darcy Moore really is that cracked egg for Collingwood's flan. The only thing about the flan uh, analogy, isn't a mm. flan like very low set? Whereas it is. you'd be looking yeah, at it... more something with a rising agent with Darcy's. Maybe a souffle? Well, souffle souffle is a bit soft in the middle, and you know. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So uh, we won't. That's more Braden Sire, but yeah, I don't know. If you've got a suggestion for a um a rock hard, very tall dessert, um that we could potentially anoint with a binding, it needs to have that binding agent as well to fit the analogy. I'll tell you what the sweet is. You tell me what the player player is. Toblerone. (laughs) Uh, uh, the Swiss, the Swede. Oh, not bad. Not Toby bad. Wilson, Tony Wilson, no, Tony Wilson, um, Wilson. What's his name? Fucking Wilson. I'd say like Toblerone uh, would be Braden Maynard because, you know, like you bite too many Toblerones and it like jag- jaggeds up into the roof oh, of your it mouth. Does. Yeah, it really digs the top yeah, of the Real mouthful. Right. All right. So um, cheesecake. Uh, Chris Mayne. Good. Yep, yep. I'll take that. And finally, Pavlova. <laughs> Nathan Buckley. <laughs> It's just starting to crack. It's just starting to crack the surfaces. <laughs> it's holding it together. Rumor, rumor has it he's been uh, testing some souffle and some dessert wine down at Marion. Well, we do. We do have our, our spies out there, and we're not one to um, we're not to, not one to lift the lid on where these Collingwood players are up to. But we did uh, see Nathan enjoying a, a delicious wine at one of Anthony McConnell's Andrew McConnell, sorry, one of his finest establishments in Melbourne. Shout out to the crew at Marion. Big fans of the pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're listening, go down there, hit them up, lob- lobster cave style. Mention the uh, Bucks Burger. Yeah. <laughs> see, if see, if they'll put some, see if they'll put something special on their menu. For- Tell them Pie Hard sent you 20, and that you're keen, you're keen to try the Bucks Burger. 20% off if you wear your uh, match day Guernsey. <laughs> yes. Yes, please go to <laughs> Marion. Go to Marion. Go to Marion in your uh, full resplendent in your full Collingwood gear with your flag. Uh, for twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there was at the top of this segment, we did say there was two. Remember, we said there was two players we we're going to talk about. Ah, the first one was Darcy yeah, the Gazelle Moore. Yes, and the second was uh, Wolf Blass's own oh. Brody Grundy. Now we have been critical of Brody Grundy in the past. We own we uh, we like to own our opinions on this. Uh, program but it was always with the best intentions Mm. and it was always designed to get the best out of Brody. now did we see the best of Brody grundy against carlton of course we didn't not even close Brody grundy at his apex at the top of his mountain when he was ripping apart teams in 2018 was dominating ruck but also being our fifth midfielder yeah now now there was periods, there was sustained periods of, of ruck domination against Carlton, but we didn't really see the fifth midfielder. He, he was great, and it was lovely to see, I guess, a, re- a welcome return to form for Brody Grundy. We're big fans of Brody Grundy on the pod. We know he's listening. We know he loves Pie Hard. Shout out. Um, 
to you and uh, and all the fam. But we know that when Brody Grundy is flying high again, we are going to see that aggressive body-on-body ruckman winning a tap and then that almost instantaneous transition into roving ruck rover, slick skills, burst out of the pack, you know, 210 centimetre on baller. And that's, I think, the final piece of the the puzzle that we're waiting for with Brody Grundy. It's funny because I feel like what we saw in the Carlton game, it was a relief to us and so many others because what we saw wasn't this extra mid- midfield, like, prodigal ruckman. What mm-hmm. we saw was like almost like this brutish journeyman mm. ruckman who was like willing to kind of run into his ruck opponent and like gr- grizzle them a little bit and like maybe get like an awkward palm to the ball, but maybe not. But like meat and potatoes, meat and potato ruckman. Yeah, meat and potato ruckman. It felt feels like that that element was almost missing. It's like sometimes I think when a player's down on confidence. And and they're they're looking for this like wonderful play they once were. Maybe they go. Maybe someone like Brody's going like trying to be do too much in a game. He's trying mm. to do too much like extracurriculars beyond the ruck mm. work. Whereas on the weekend it looked like it wasn't about the silky stuff. It wasn't about the extra possessions around the game around the ground. It wasn't about like even contested marking. It was like no, I'm just going to run in and like headbuck this bloke in the rug. Bash and crash, bash and crash, bash and crash. And like we see it with fucking you know just poorly skilled ruckman like Mumford and many many others over the journey who like they know that they're limited, but they just do something like they do something really basic really well. Mm. And it was kind of a relief to see Brody. He's kind of regressed. Mm. To like being almost a shell of a player, and now just to come and re-inhabit just that bash and crash style, and not worry so much about the silk. The silk will come, we hope. Yeah, yeah, of course it will. Of course it will. You don't, you don't lose that. Uh, form is temporary, class is permanent, as we know on this podcast. Now, unfortunately, today we got the news that Brody and Jordan Degoe were absent at training, which oh, really? is um, just what we wanted to hear. Just as 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 both of those gentlemen were. Uh, Sort of like recapturing that form. I think they've they've come down with a sniffle. I think was Buckley's choice of words. Sniffle went for a COVID test. All clear. All passed, and will be free to take on um, the Bears at Telstra Dome. The Dome Thursday. The Dome. Back to back to the Dome. Nothing wrong with that. I think that's I think that's a a smart choice by the AFL, um, especially when you've got an infected uh, Brisbane team at your. You know that you, that you have to deal with. I think they were training at Port Melbourne today. But look, that's going to be a fantastic clash. Can't wait. Well, we might actually head to the dome. Might do a terrace talk at the dome. Who knows? But yeah, hoping hoping that um, Brody and Jordan make a very uh, quick recovery. I'm hoping that the Bears didn't um, pack any spare undies because they didn't expect to be coming for a week. Um, you'd think that they've just got the one overnight change of clothing. Mm. Um, perhaps they didn't pack their playstations for the hotel mm. stay for a week, and there might be a little bit of homesickness like creep in. You know, they got robbed against uh, the Cats um, in a horrific final term blunder. Um, so frustration will be riding high, and let's hope that um, you know they're just a little bit discombobulated by their extended stay in Victoria, and perhaps mm. they we catch them catch them off form. I just hope they're staying at a three star shitty Novotel resort like like 
like they uh, thrust upon us last year in the uh, in the COVID landscape at Twin Waters. Do you know where I hope they're staying? Like, do you know the hotel on the corner of Spencer and Flinders Street, which I think is called the Hoffman Hotel, and it's like traditionally I haven't seen it for a while. Maybe it's changed, but it's like Halfway full it? multi-leveled, very old peeling paint. I had this board on the side, and I'll never forget it. It's like the board. This is all through like nineties, two thousands, even mm. even this decade. The board was advertising like the the selling points of the hotel, and it said TV brackets in in lounge. <laughs> so there's one TV in the hotel in the lounge, and it said some rooms have hot water. And this board was like created in like 1951, like John mm. Wren style age, mm. and uh, has not. So I hope that um, I hope there was a vacancy there for the bears um, because it is a very short walk to the dome from the Hotham Hotel. All right, so that's it for uh, episode 22 of Pie Hard. Thank you, as always, for listening. Do um, get in touch with us on our socials at Pie Hard Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come say hello to us at the Dome uh, on Thursday night. We'll be there, Terrace Talk. Um, don't find us, we'll find you. And make sure to uh, keep an eye out on the socials for our first ever sticker competition. So you'll see details on uh, around that on socials. Um, Again, start planning. We want to know your favorite Collingwood footballer who has played 50 games or less and why. And you can win yourself uh, one of the first edition Pie Hard sticker packs. Mm-hmm. Alex, as always, pleasure to um, have your company on this uh, on this beautiful, crisp autumn uh, Melbourne day broadcasting, of course, live from Collingwood 3066. It's been wonderful to join you here, Damien, and um, can't wait for this week's game to roll around on Thursday and a big long weekend where um if we win isn't it great you get to have all that kind of holiday with like that relaxed vibe of being winners uh if we lose then it destroys Easter and uh... (laughs) this is pie hard